Hello, this is Chris O'Regan, and you're listening to The Sausage Factory. This is episode 373 of The Sausage Factory. Welcome. In this episode, I chat to Rasmus Jensen of Bulwark Games about their third-person action-adventure puzzle platformer, Glyph. Yeah, that's quite a mouthful. Fully admit that. But there's a lot to Glyph. Way more than just described. I mean, I'm trying to summarise Glyph into this glib little sentence. It just can't do it justice. This is a game, it is an action platformer, a third-person action platformer puzzle. It's all those things. But it's a game that you can either explore and delve into the world it presents to you in your own time, in your own way, and just explore. Or you can delve into the side of the skill things and actually discover secrets and do amazing feats with this extraordinary little scarab that you're controlling. It's really really rewarding on both fronts both exploration and skill it's really well put together of course it's well put together because it's on the sausage factory and it's one of my favorite games from 2021 yes another one 2021 was a really good year for games i've got to say and rasmus was a fantastic guest very open and honest about the design and development of glyph so let's hear me talk to rasmus about glyph Chris, take it away. Rasmus. Hello. Who are you and what do you do? Who am I? I am Rasmus Jensen. I work at Bulwark Games, a Copenhagen-based studio in Denmark. Uh, As for my position inside the company, my Mm -hmm. contract says marketing manager, but being an indie studio also means I do everything from making the coffee to being the community manager to be the social media guy. To be the guy who edits the videos, makes the Twitch channel, and everything in between, basically. Whatever is needed at that given point. 
to make sure that the, the world knows about what you're doing. Exactly. And having fun while doing it. That's that's the key. It's very key. Otherwise, what's the point? Anyway. <laughs> um how did you make your start making video games, sir? That's a really good question. And it all starts with me thinking I should work in the advertising industry, but the classical one. Which means I went to a school which consisted of one year of basic training mixed with three years of internships. And I spent my first year at a really prestigious advertising company in Denmark, working on milk cartons and packaging for muesli. And after a year of that, I'm like, this is the most horrible thing I've ever done. I cannot imagine building a career on this. Some people get excited about milk cartons. I do not. So when that contract ran out, I started looking around for other places to continue my internships while still working in graphic design and classic advertising. That led me to a place called Arsenal in Vibor, also Denmark, uh, which is a company cluster for creative companies that sprung up, up around the animation school called the Animation Workshop. And I looked at that and said, like, well, if there's a school, there must be some companies up there. And I found this cluster of companies under one roof. So I wrote the guy basically saying, hey, your website's not very good and your communication's not very good. You should hire me as an, uh, an intern to come and help you with that. And he was like, sounds perfect. I hate the website. I didn't make it. Come up here. So I moved to this town and I set up shop at Arsenal, where I worked uh, as an intern, branching out into communications, marketing, everything like that. Basically existing, assisting all the 30 companies in the building with sales, marketing, graphic design, and anything like that they needed. They were all hardcore game designers, all hardcore animators, which means they are like amazing craftsmen, but they don't know how to advertise. So it kind of became my... Uh, by the end of those uh, two years of interning at this place, I had pretty much forgotten how to be a graphic design student, which meant I had some interesting months up to my exams, which I did pass, actually, with uh, being in the top eight of my class in Denmark, so it turned out okay. But it was... Uh, a restudy as I had basically spent all my time just branching out to learn how animation made, how a game's made, what is the structure of the industry, how do you how do you do publishing, how can you be a producer, how does game marketing work, stuff like that. Uh, after my internship was over, I got a full-time contract at Arsenal, working there for another 14 months as uh, the building's communication manager also community manager and anything in between. Before that, then I branched out into my own company, basically doing marketing, administration, fundraising and stuff like that for game companies. And then uh, I got picked up by a real company, this being Bulwark Games, who uh, basically headhunted me and asked me if I want to come aboard and help them with their games. And of course I was like, of course I want to. Your games are awesome. And the rest, as they say, is history. Yes, and here we are. Yeah, completely self-taught, as most people in the game industry. Schools are uh, dropping up around Scandinavia, but I didn't join them. I just sat down in an environment surrounded by extremely talented people, and I just kind of listened. <laughs> That's a perfectly valid way of doing things. I think it's wonderful that the schools do exist, though, that you can get a degree. In game design. Oh, yes. 
if yeah. if I could go back, I would probably have done things differently. But the path kind of like unrolled in front of me pretty organically. And I just kind of like let myself be pulled along. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's best just to go with the flow. Yeah. I was like, oh, I find it. Games yeah. are fun. <laughs> yes. Yes, they are. Um, okay. Well, you've answered the first two questions pretty well, and they're pretty straightforward. But this next one is known as the dreaded third question. Oh, no. Yeah. Now, you can answer this personally or as a representative of uh, Bolvert Games, or both. It's entirely up to Mm. you. But you are a creator of things. So, therefore, I must ask you this question, because it's quite important and profound, I like to think. What are your biggest influences as a creator? So, are we talking authors, people, games? All of the above. Just Just, you could even, I mean, I've had developers sort of sigh and not not in exasperation, but just don't thinking about it. And they've actually said, reality? (laughs) (laughs) Which is quite, yeah, which is quite nebulous. But really, what's the thing? that you find yourself orbiting more than anything else, whether you want to or not, the thing or things that you are drawing from, then you then say, this is something that's feeding my creative juices. I don't know why, but it does. Uh, When it comes to that kind of things, I'm drawn towards people who are great creators of worlds, people who can build these fantastic things we're just swept up in. And no matter how ridiculous a universe they're putting together, it's either reflecting reality or reflecting something in yourself that just does that you cannot put the book down. You can't stop watching or you can't stop listening. So I found a lot of my inspiration in fiction as that is also one of my favorite aspects of game development, the way games allows for us to tell stories in a completely new way. And uh, I feel like for me, especially any game that's success has really good blend of storytelling and solid gameplay is always something extremely memorable for me. Whether that be like a narrative for the main character or just like a world that's just so fascinating to walk through that you really can't stop and you need to see, you need to turn every rock and check out every corner just to make sure you didn't miss something interesting. That for me is like the most inspiring thing. Yeah. I mean, isn't that why everyone finished Gone Home? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Because <laughs> you're just like, oh, what is, what is going on there? Or I spent 600 hours in Fallout 3 making damn sure I didn't miss anything. I still like the ending. Well, a bit of the ending, not the ending. Yeah, the, bit, the extended ending. <laughs> yeah, there's the bit where, you know, when you've got the big robots stomping around throwing nukes at things. That was just quite hilarious. Um, a bit of a spoiler, everyone, but that game's really old, so give me a break. All of this podcast. Yeah, we did say Fallout 3, not 4, so don't, you know... And four, I couldn't play because I didn't want the dog to get hurt, kind of freaked out. So I said, I can't. <laughs> no, I always, always took a, a huge uh, U-turn around the gas station so I didn't get the dog because I couldn't live myself. No, couldn't do it. Just can't, can't do it. Had to, go, had to go get some more tough companions who, who I didn't feel bad when he got hurt. <laughs> yeah, not, not the dog. Not the, I know no, not the dog. technically the game, he couldn't die anyway, but that's not the point. The mere fact that he could get hurt is that, no, no, can't. Nah. It's, not like dog, it's not like dog meat in Fallout 3, which I actually did believe have permadeath if it was uh, killed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not good. Anyway, 
But no, I think the mere joy of creating a world that others can interact with and enjoy and experience, that's a wonderful thing to be drawn to. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. And I'm very much an explorer. It's one of the many reasons why I dug glyphs so much, enjoyed it so much, and enjoying it so much. Um, and I'm really happy to, to share this with our audience because it's quite a thing what you've made here. I know you know that, but I just want you to remind you, it is quite an extraordinary thing you've made. Oh, thank you. But trust me, uh, I don't mind hearing it again. I mean, it's <laughs> <all> fine. <laughs> so next but question. I'm really happy. I'm really yeah, happy, though, that you also, you're also drawn to and uh, see the appeal of the exploration aspect of Glyph, as that mm. is also my favorite aspect. We do have speedrunners coming out of woodwork, doing the most amazing things in this game. But I do fall in the category of like, nah, I just take my time. I need to check out these alien ruins and see what's going on over here. Yeah, what's that about? I love the fact, I mean, we'll talk about it later. Hold, I'll keep my powder dry. We'll, mm-hmm. we'll delve into that. But next question, again, a tricky one. <laughs> It's like, you know, there's a mini boss halfway through the podcast. It's fine. You'll be fine. Is this. Um, what developer do you most admire in the industry and why? And it could be a person or a company or both. Can be more I one. think I had to. They, they are one of the old school ones now. And I, I feel bad calling them a developer these days. But my money will still be on Valve. Mm-hmm. On the good old days. I remember being a young youngling getting my hands on my first proper computer. And uh, some the, the guy upstairs who was a bit older than me came by and he, and he, ins- he installed uh, Half Life Opposing Force, which is like the extension where we play as Adrian Shepard running around trying to find Freeman. And for me, it was like the first time where the, the whole like I played Doom before, I played Quake. I was like, yeah, you run around to shoot dudes, that's what you do. Half Life Opposing Force was the first time I was just like, wow, I'm here, I'm in this world, it feels organic, it feels real. Like this place was put together for a function. This is like a research base. There's a coffee machine. This is a bathroom. It's the first time I really got like that uh, one-to-one immersion of like, I'm a dude exploring something really fantastic and I can do whatever I want. Yeah. And uh, that kind of really stuck with me. Of course, moving on to Half-Life 2, which is like another masterpiece, episode one, episode two, moving on to Portal. I mean, they just create like these worlds you just love to get lost in. Yeah, I mean, I really, really enjoyed Half-Life Alex. One of the few people can actually play the blasted thing because, it's, <laughs> you know, so many barriers of entry to play it. You need a very powerful PC and you need a really good VR headset. It's absurd. But if you can play it, experience it, it is astonishing. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, they still got it. They still got it. <laughs> you know, um, It's nice being back in City 17, but I never thought I'd say that. <laughs> Yeah, so I was had to watch the playthrough and just be happy with that, I guess. Yeah. Even though I, t- I technically do have the hardware, so I guess I just had to get off my lazy butt and uh, get the setup ready. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I've got a Quest 2, which is like it's like almost having two platforms in one. So I can stream it with my Wi-Fi because I've got quite a good Wi-Fi. I've got a mesh Wi-Fi at home. And that oh, allows damn. me to stream from the PC to the headset. So I can actually play VR stream, um, sorry, Steam VR games on the Quest 2. So, yeah, so best of both worlds, really. You can also play Quest 2 games on the VR, on, on, on the headset. So that's my recommendation. If you want to get a VR headset for your PC, get that, because you get two platforms in one. Um, so, next. So, yeah, um, Valve is a really good 
response. Any others? Do you think? I mean, any other people or or? I had I had a list once when I was a young, blue-eyed, optimistic young man, but right. some companies fall out of grace, and I'd oh, yeah. prefer not to, so I prefer not to bring them up now. Yeah, it's probably as I, as I would rather just list individuals if I could remember their names, as I do know where <laughs> the achievements come from and who is now not in the companies anymore and why things are as they are now. Yeah, it, game company of your choice. Indeed. I'm sure you all have your own favorites by now. Yeah, but. Uh... I think the Valve things is a good, good place. It's fine. It's fine. It's so, fine. <laughs> last question of the first half, and I have to ask this question because a it demonstrates you're not living in a bubble. And I know you're not. I get this impression most of the time. I know you're not. But it's always nice to know what developers are playing other than what they're making. So, what are you distracting yourself with these days? Oh, I've fallen in the deep end. I have installed <laughs> Armor Free. Oh, yeah. What made you do that? I'm, I'm, I'm late on the. I'm very, very late on this trend. I'm oh yeah. Late. After watching my YouTube video number eight thousand and twenty-two, I literally wrote a comment and said, "Okay, this is the video to make me buy it." And I went to Steam, and it's on sale. I was like, "Well, now I have no choice," and I picked it up. And uh, yeah, now I'm uh, <laughs> diving into a, a new world of. Uh, confusing inputs and uh, every single keyboard uh, <laughs> every single thing on the keyboard being uh, well combined with something else spend a good 15 minutes just trying out how to figure out how to talk to my other players in the multiplayer game yeah but, uh, so I, but i see the potential so i mean it is a very well-known soldier simulation mm-hmm. a better phrase and it's a what i've always called a muzzle flash game if you can see a muzzle flash, you'd probably be dead. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, hear, I often hear like enemy straight ahead 100 meters. I'm like, what? And then I lie down. Yeah. <laughs> Take yeah. a nap. Yeah. It's like when you see like movement, it's over there. Oh, yeah. Duck. duck move, move. <laughs> because it's, yeah, it's you know, that's the people don't know this when they've been playing Call of Duty all this time and no stuff like that. Say, like, what is the, is the war zone is called the free to play? We were we quite a few guys who uh, sat down and played that when yeah. the, the, the global sneeze came in 2020. And we all had to sit inside, uh, and that's the kind of like shooter where you can like empty two magazines of your favorite assault rifle into someone, and they still come at you. That's not yeah. ex- that's not extreme experience you get in the arm. I was just like, oh, I think there's a guy over there. Oh, there was. I'm dead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Flash. Oh, I'm dead. Um. Because, yeah, if you did empty a magazine to someone, there wouldn't be le- anything left. No. no <laughs> but, uh, all of the funs and gigs, I guess. Yeah. Other than that, my, my comfort games of choice is uh, the Total War series. Okay. Mostly Total War Warhammer, Total Warhammer 2. Nice. And, uh, and RimWorld. Anything where I can kind of play in my own pace. I really enjoyed uh, the Total War series because it's like, uh, things get a little intense. Pause. I'll go get, get some coffee. <laughs> I I just have all, for all the years I've been playing them and I've been playing them since Shogun. Oh That's wow, one. so you've been there since, since the start, yeah. Yeah, and uh, I just love setting traps and drawing. If I can pull it off, I think I've I, I've I feel awesome swinging the door shut <laughs> by just yeah, creating yeah. this massive flank. And it's so hard to do though because most most you know they're not that. They're not that dumb, but uh, when you do pull it off and you drag someone in, 
especially like the bloodthirsty sort of lot. And you go, okay, yes, you're not going to like this. And then you just send a cavalry and you just steamroller them. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm so happy they, they, they patched cavalry in the Total Warhammer 2. So now it actually feels useful to implement an army again. Yeah. Yeah. I, basically, did. They, 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 I think they came to the conclusion like, wow, no one is using cavalry anymore because when you have like giant monster dragons and werewolves, what do you need a dude and a horse for? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> What I'm finding uh, with that game is that because I know the law quite well, I know that the world's about to end anyway. So if I'm having this big fight going, none of this matters. <laughs> well, that's true, yeah. I'll be moving into the end times. You're heading Steve. into the end times now. So it's just... uh, dips, on, dip, dips on the list up, man, then. Yeah, dips on those. I'm going to fire off my spaceship and just get out of here. Yeah, just, just book it. Be fine. I mean, when we see that load, when we see that massive pyramid, we're all doomed. Anyway, sorry everyone if you're not familiar. <laughs> look, look it up. You can look it up. There's a whole thing about how Age of Sigma comes about, which is fascinating in my opinion. But just you know, whatever. It goes from a low magic environment to a high magic environment. That's basically what happens. Pretty much, yeah. Pretty much, which is cool. But not everyone likes it. I get it, but I can play fucking it. So, well, that's the end of the first half. Well done. Perfect. Uh, let oh, us move. Very proud. Yes, <laughs> let's move on to the second half of the show, where we delve deep. Cliff.
Oh yeah, that game. That game. <laughs> <laughs> so before we do the dive, we need to know what glyph is. Now, I'm going to give you the chance. I'm going to give you the floor. No, you're going to get them on the floor most of the time. Uh, is um, what is what is glyph? Glyph is what we like to feel is a very unique 3D platformer where you play as a little mechanical robot scarab called Glyph, who is a, a little ball that unfolds into like a little robot scarab. So in a game, you have to roll around and jump and smash and glide and double jump around uh, very diverse levels. And uh, the key thing is that if you touch the sand, you will explode, which is often, often a good uh, showstopper for most ambitious players. Um, because in regards to narrative is that the sand is corrupted by an evil power and therefore you as the hero who has been awakened from your slumber should not get in contact with that. So instead you have to use your awesome parkour skills to jump off pillars and roll around platforms and uh, basically collect all the resources you need to restore the world to its former glory before the big catastrophe that destroyed everything. So that's a short version. (laughs) And then there's this the 16 hour game in case you want to try the, the long story. Yeah. Yeah. It's, this is not a five hour job, which is nothing wrong with a five hour indie game. I love them. Don't get me wrong. I've played a load of them. I've had a lot of them on the show. It's fantastic. However, it's nice to have something really meaty and get your teeth into, which is what Cliff is. I hope you used the word meaty. I'm so happy you did. <laughs> I did. I did. I did. Um, so the first design question, and you're pretty much right. It's it's a there's a dexterity element to it, lots of timing, but not too much, which I think is very no. clever. In- I think most yeah, go on. Yes, yeah. I think most players getting uh, accustomed to the control scheme will also start to appreciate the simplicity of the movement set we have created for them. And then the challenge does not come from moving, but from uh, navigating, as we will make the levels more and more complicated as you move along. Oh yeah. Don't you just, he says delicately. Um, <laughs> Inglyph, knowing where you're going to land is extremely important. Yes. You really need to understand that to get especially when, Especially when the sand kill you, kills you. Yeah, exactly. The, the, the floor is lava. Okay, we know that. Okay, we get it. So... <laughs> What have you done to advertise this fact to the player? What what design choices have you made as a studio to make sure? I I know what you've done, but I want you to describe it to me. The the design aspects to make sure the interface so the player, the feedback, the visual feedback and audio as well to make sure that the player knows where they're going to hit. Mm. The good regards to audio, if you hear an explosion, then you didn't hit the mark. So in case you're playing playing with your eyes closed, that's pretty much the only indicator we can give you. In regards to anyone with their eyes open, uh, we do have designed the game in regards to have a a little white circle beneath your character at all times, so you can locate with pinpoint accuracy where your center mass will hit. Of course, you could uh, have equally used the shadows or more, some people are subtle. But we did experience quite a few times, as for more, some of the more tricky jumps, the player is actually required to hit small marks. And uh, we, did, we just wanted to make sure there was like no uh, fault in our part regards to the visuals to uh, make this a frustrating experience. So we made it really, really clear. However, if you do feel brave, I'm pretty sure you can actually toggle off this white circle if you just want to 
use your own depth perception. But just be warned, sometimes you'll be going very fast and it, 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 you really, that little white circle is going to be a lifesaver quite a few times. Yeah. There is a sense of satisfaction when you're bouncing along one platform and the other, not even like just doing one touch. It's awesome when you do that, like bing, bing, yeah, exactly. bing. Yeah, yeah. If you, if that, you feel so light, so that's also part of the gameplay experience. It's also terrifying because you're, you're picking up momentum, like I'm going to die, I'll die. <laughs> Yeah, and then you start tensing up and you start making stupid mistakes. Yeah, yeah. I've been there. <laughs> yeah, 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 you do. But uh, you can decelerate. I love that. And uh, yeah. which lets me, leads me on neatly to the next question. It's also, it's almost as if I've designed it in such a way. You never know. But um, oh. in Glyph, there is some control over the speed through which you can move through the air. Yes. Um, we basically How, installed we installed the handbrake. Yeah, you did. How have you found? Because what you could have done is made this really powerful to the point where you could almost stop in dead air and then just drop where you want to go. But you didn't mm-hmm. do that. No, that just doesn't make a lot of sense. It's not whizball. Look it up. Kids ask you for <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, it's a game called Whizball from forty years ago. I'm not. It's that old. It's uh, anyway. And it's a 2D thing, don't worry. It's not a 3D, don't worry. But anyway, there's nothing new under the sun. Be as it may. <laughs> um, you, um, it's it's wonderful sort of like, because I've used it so much. It's got me out of so much trouble because I will yeah. often blast myself up into the sky, then do a bounce, then do another one, throw myself up in the sky, and then float across in the vain hope that I've actually got some some uh, air to actually glide down to where I go. And unfortunately, I've glid, or glid is a word, uh, glided too long and overshot, where I almost overshot where I need to go. And just put the brakes on in the air. Um, exactly. how, how, have you, how have you found designing this aspect? What kind of, what things did you have to do to make it show that, yes, it's useful, but not too powerful? Well, it came very simply from the fact that uh, when people, you can use this very comfortably, you, it's called the smash, and it, it's exactly what it says on the tin. It is a complete drop in momentum in regards to going forward, and instead you will go very fast down. So it's not uh, for the gentle landings, but if you're moving slowly and confidently, it is a good way to control your momentum moving across small platforms. But when you have used double jump and you're high up in the air and you're soaring across the level and you are speeding towards the platform and you start to realize that you're going to miss this thing with a country mile, you can, by holding your reflexes, hit the smash in exactly the right moment and hopefully uh, land on uh, <laughs> the, the thing you had in mind. But also, way more likely, you can also overshoot or undershoot that and just smash directly into the ground instead. So it, it comes with the risk and it does take some practice to to master. And you can also sort of slow down with the Left stick by just pressing in the opposite direction or heading. Um, oh, oh, sure. As, as, the, as the physics would introduce, yeah, when you roll around there as the ball. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. That's, that's something I've been doing as well. Like, I've hurled myself, like, I'm heading there, head, break, 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 <laughs> and then <laughs> and drop down. And then what I do, I do sticky ball. So, sticky ball is where your ball actually hits any solid object that isn't sand. And when it does that, you can then launch off of it again. Whatever mm-hmm. the orientation of that surface is, of its vertical or horizontal, doesn't matter. 
And uh, that's what I do is I stick to the object until I get to a firm purchase and then move on to the next thing. If I'm not doing the gliding, you know, or bouncing from one thing to the other, um, just trying to get a purchase and then moving on to the next thing. That's what I'm, I'm, I'm struggling a bit when I'm going, I need to take a breath. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, uh, a little, little side track here, but I'm currently doing a no glide run on a Twitch channel. I will say I'm starting to miss glide quite a bit. There is uh, quite a few levels where you start to realize that thing is very vital for your success. Yeah. But I'm having, but I'm having a lot of fun trying to get workarounds. Mm. Yeah. What, what, yeah. Knowing it's, it's, a, it's an old thing of actually making a constriction to yourself or restriction, I should say, to yourself saying, well, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to um, turn left here I'm only gonna, or whatever you. Um, it's just, it's, it's a lovely idea. It's, you know, I know it can be done. But I just love the the glide is my insurance policy. I don't like using oh, yes. it, but you use it when you really, really have to. Um, <clears throat> so the next question I have is this. The level design in Glyph does yeah. include challenging sections, as we talked about earlier, for mm -hmm. those who want to collect everything. Everything. They must have all of the things. Uh, and um, how have you found designing those alongside the less complex, you know, more, you know, just explore the world as you see fit, but don't, you know, don't go off the beaten track. Here's the track that you're meant to go down. I say meant to. This is the primary score. You just go down there. Alternatively, you can, you know, go down here. I mean, one of the earliest ones, uh, it's a bit of a spoiler, but it uses what I call the pitfall system. <laughs> Again, kids ask your parents or maybe even grandparents. Uh, pitfall is a very, very old game and it starts off when you're on the far left-hand side of the screen and most people go running right because it makes sense. If the little character's facing right, you run right. But actually, if you run left, it becomes much easier <laughs> and you find oh, a yeah. whole you, know, you find a different and similarly with the earlier one it's you start off facing away but if you just turn around you go huh there's a whole raft of other things and pillars to explore and yes uh, i believe that we, we do that very early in a level called titan space we and do, we, yes we teach, we teach the players very early on don't trust us we are not very nice always check behind you yes every nook and cranny we yeah. have too much time in our hands. We have hidden things away for you. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that's not a spoiler, everyone. That's one of the earliest levels you can encounter. After the tutorial, which is excellent, by the way, really well put together. Um, oh, thank you. And uh, it's not easy to make those. I know that. So well done. You you uh, really taught the idea of the physics and the momentum of things. Wonderful stuff. But like I said, how have you found designing essentially two experiences in one area? Well, the thing is, regards to all like what value we put on different things, because in a glyph level, you will always have to get the keys, or else you can't leave. You need to get the coins, as those are your means of. Uh, well, th that's the economy that allows you to buy more levels. You need to get out of your way to get those gems, because they will allow you to unlock uh, new areas of the hub world, which in turn will also help you progress and get access to more levels. There's the artifacts; those things will allow you to get access to the time trials. And if you find those appealing, well, you have to make go out of your way to make sure to get those artifacts, which will in turn require you to get all the coins, which we have so nicely spread all over the level for your amusement. 
And uh, and then, of course, for the cherry on top, we have in every single level hidden away an avatar capsule, which allows you, the player, to customize their character along with the cosmetics you can also get from the time trials that comes in the form of uh, different color trails, giving you unique gaming experience. So regards to like how you approach Glyph, you can just go for the coins, the gems, and pretty much make your way through the entire game, no problem. But if you want more satisfaction and more content, you might have to work a bit for it. And uh, those effort capsules and those cosmetics quickly become like a badge of honor to the point where we know for a fact if someone has gotten the Phoenix avatar capsule, they uh, have probably got some skills by now and they might have been through a very infuriating level quite a few times to get that and they deserve respect for it. Not to mention the avatar capsules are hidden away until you, fi- you find the secret button we also hit somewhere for your amusement, which could technically be right behind you when you begin the game, but more likely we put it somewhere further in and you have to find it you do indeed and the level of satisfaction is quite exceptional and leads me on to my last question see again this is almost as if i designed it way. it's really but impressive it's, thank you um so glyph does boast the concept of just one more go it's one more time one more time i can do this one more time how have you managed to nurture this experience for the player? Well, what I think the most. You come. Well, I think personally for me, it basically comes in respect of like, if you're going to make a game where the player is probably going to explode 400 times before they beat the game, you have to make sure the transition from exploding to get back in the game is quick as possibly can be and kind of visually satisfying. So in Glyph, you explode, you teleport back in, you go. And uh, the, the whole like aspect of just go, I think many people find appealing all the way back to the old school Nintendo entertainment days when you played uh, one of those uh, super difficult three platforms like Ninja Gaiden. It's frustrating as heck when you die for the 18th time. But the thing is that the music plays back up. You're back in the game. Okay, we're rolling. This time we can do it. So if you're not allowed to be frustrated for very long before you basically get a chance to redeem yourself. And each time you do it, you'll often find that you get a little further and now that's part of the level that was giving you all this trouble. Now that's the easy part. But now the next part is causing you trouble. But you are sure if you just keep uh, hitting your head against the wall, you'll get there at one point. And uh, I find most players do if they keep practicing because the game in the regards to its moveset is both very advanced but also very simplistic. When you're done with a tutorial that was well put together, as you said, you pretty much know everything you had to learn about how this character can move. So the journey is just you getting more and more accustomed and more skilled. So any kind of satisfaction you get, you'll know it got from your determination and your grit you put into the game. As we don't have any secret power-ups or that avatar allows you to jump three times. They don't exist. <laughs> it's all streamlined. Yeah, it's, there's none of that. There's no, You don't get any special powers. No, that's it. All you need to know is presented to you right at the beginning of the game. That's it. And you say that, you know, the player knows how they can move. Well, yes, but they don't know how far they can move. And that's <laughs> that's the key to Glyph. You need to know how far you can move. And also well, the impact that momentum has on your movement. It's just, well, more to the point on your landing. 
It's the amount of times I've landed on something and then bounced off of it and like, no, no. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> but I also think the whole like one more time also comes from the satisfaction that every time you said that, you often say it because this time you got a little further. This time you got a little better. This time yep. you had a little better idea of how to approach this problem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And that's that, that for me, you putting that little mysterious bit in right at the beginning was was inspired because that's not easy. Um, you, you don't really have the chops initially to do that that run, and it does teach you a lot. I mean, I, I strongly recommend uh, listeners when you when you play Cliff, and I do mean when um, you have a go at that and keep bashing away at that because that teaches you way more than the tutorial does about decelerating, <laughs> crashing moving in very very awkward spaces and knowing where you can land and how what it teaches you so much more than the tutorial does it's very clever and uh, it's so interesting you put that right at the beginning of the game but you went no that that one stayed because we actually did have like a little reshuffle after launch launch as we did realize some of the initial levels especially time trials were maybe a little difficult and frustrating for first time players so at least want to give them like at least the first 15 minutes should not be too brutal. But we did, we did keep in tight in space because that's a really good le- lesson for kids. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, did, I had one of my favorite experiences watch, was watching a, a Twitch streamer realizing that he's just like, oh, well, this is what I'm going to spend my next hour doing now. I need to get yeah. that thing. Yeah. Because, you, because you, tried to, you, you tried to hide it from me, but I saw. Yeah. And you, you tried to trick me, but I noticed, and I'm going to yeah. get it. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Go go get it. <laughs> Show go. me. <laughs> Off your pop. Go on. Go get it. And you just it's brilliant because you, it does the Zelda thing, right? Which is mm. you see the object. There it is. It's right next to you. You just gotta do the thing. Whereas the difference here is that with Zelda, it's normally you have an object, so you need to get an object to get to the thing. This isn't about an object. This is about your inability or inability or inability to actually get there through um sheer force of will and dexterity and skill because that's what it requires it really does and patience oh boy but if you can do that you really find the rest of it um it it sets you in a good stead for everything else because you've learned so many weird tricks and you've got to know the weight of the scarab that's the key of of glyph that's the name of the character you get to know their mass <laughs> and what they can do. That's why I was really appreciative. I wasn't frustrated by it at all. Um, yes, that's a lie. I was a little bit frustrated, <laughs> but um, I was more frustrated myself because I knew I could do it. I knew what to do. It's just being able to do it. You know? hmm. I was playing it with a controller, with my Xbox One controller. Um, so I'm connected to my PC. So, Glyph then. Is uh, developed by Bolverk Games. Where's the name come from, by the way, for the studio? I, I should probably ask my colleagues one day where it came from. <laughs> I, do, I, do, I do believe it's a monkey. Uh, we have like the three founding fathers of the company back in a basement somewhere in 2016, working away with the first Oculus headset. Oh. And, uh, as the rest say, it's history from there. As uh, we are still plays a huge role in Bolverk Games. So uh, I'll have to go back and ask them what the heck you were thinking when they came up with that name. <laughs> but that does, okay. does sound good. Yeah, it's great. It's lovely. So 
Yes, it's um, what what is Glyph available on? What platforms is it available on? What's it run on? You'll be happy to hear that uh, Glyph is currently available on Nintendo Switch and Steam. And more importantly, on both platforms, we have a free demo, which consists of three completely new levels, which are not in the full game. These things are exclusive for the demo. Approximately 45 minutes of gameplay. To give you a pretty good insight to what Glyph is all about. So if uh, you're hesitant, try the demo, and I'm sure it'll be sold right away. Yeah. Yes, Nintendo Switch and uh, on Steam. And that's Windows PC? Yes, indeed. I have to make sure that. I have a Mac laptop, so <laughs> uh, yeah, it can take a bullet and still go. It's amazing. They're, they're amazing. They cost a fortune, but they're you know, <laughs> but they are very resilient. When they crash, though, they really crash. I mean, wow. They just, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm out. Had, so I'm on the spectrum where I have this really, really nice Legion laptop that I love very dearly because my God, it's a powerful beast. But I would I would be lying if I said it was sturdy. It's it's so fragile to the point I'm not even sure it's a laptop anymore. I feel bad every time I close it because it's creaking like an old walk galleon. <laughs> well, man, Rasmus. Yes, it's been great having you on the show. Really, really has. Thank been you. A wonderful guest. Be open and honest and describing the. Trials and tribulations of making glyph. So you've been wonderful. Thank you. And I hope uh, people learn something. It's always yeah. happy to share knowledge. Yeah. And uh, all welcome to come back to talk about whatever next is uh, on Volvo's Games. Uh, oh, we have, uh, two hot, we have uh, already have two and three hot plates running, cooking up something delicious. So nice. Uh, nice. you'll stay in touch for sure. Yeah. But. Uh, yeah, come back then, because we have return guests, many return guests, because we've been going for a very long time. <laughs> <laughs> There's only that many game developers. We have Indeed. to play around sometimes. <laughs> well, they just come and they just contact me and say, Chris, I made a new thing. Come on the show and talk about it. So yes, say, yes. Um, yes. So, um, but until then, thank you very until much. Then. Very welcome. And thank you so much for having me. You have been listening to the Sausage Factory podcast, part of the Cane and Rinse Collective. Support us for just two US dollars per month at patreon.com forward slash Cane and Rinse for early, extended and exclusive podcasts. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, YouTube and at our website, caneandrinse.com. <laughs>